Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's Strategy Academy podcast with Health Pro Heritage. I'm Christy Smith, VP of Clinical Strategies, and with me today, I have Jason Sasser, VP of Clinical Strategies for our Home Health Division. Hey, Jason. Hey, I think the more of these podcasts we do, we need to just have our own morning show. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. Maybe our own music to intro them. <laughs> Yep. Um, for our listeners out there, you hopefully have tuned into our first uh, four episodes of this series, but this is today's um, fifth installment of our reimbursement series for our home health partners out there. Um, hopefully you're finding it helpful. Uh, today we're going to talk about clinical pathways and, you know, Jason with his creative titles, and this one is How Low Can You Go With That Cash Flow, Part 1. <laughs> so there will be a Part 2 in Episode 6 of this series, so stay tuned for that as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to dive right into it. So, Jason, just let's go right out of the gate with, you know, why are clinical pathways so important for an agency to have? Yeah, good question. Um, I think that agencies need some type of guidance to kind of help steer their clinicians to provide value over volume treatments going forward under PDGM. You know, we hear a lot of talk about value over volume, um, especially since therapy is no longer covered by the additional reimbursement like it was under PPS for the past 20 years. Uh, what CMS has basically done under PDGM is they've aligned reimbursement with patient presentation and really left it up to the providers or home health agencies to determine appropriate levels of care for each of their patients. So what they've essentially done is created a reverse uh, managed care product, to be honest. Um, and so because of the variance there and complexity within that model, it's necessary for agencies to create a sophisticated yet simplistic solution to align care with each patient classification in PDGM. Um, care pathways should always take a complete look at each of the patients based on their classification and align utilization across all disciplines. Nice. That makes sense. You know, I know that when PDGM uh, first came about, you know, folks were really focused on therapy frequencies. And one of the things that we say as a partner um, to our home health partners, to our SNF partners who utilize home health um, downstream partners is, you know, talk to them about their therapy frequencies and what they'll be using as a primary driver for determining those therapy frequencies in PDGM. So what are agencies currently utilizing to help with that? When we kind of looked at the the data um, from past CMS claims reports, we noticed that the visit range variation was extremely different when viewed by functional status across all the clinical groupings. In fact, uh, low functional impairment levels led with more visits than medium or high functional impairment levels. So it's kind of eye-opening to us. Um, a further uh, deep dive into the data shows that in nearly every clinical grouping, patients with low functional impairments had more visits completed than patients with high functional impairment scores. So it's kind of puzzling. So across the board, there was a difference of around $1,800 in reimbursement within the visit ranges. Wow. So we were kind of sitting there scratching our heads because we thought it would be kind of the opposite, you know? Yeah. And so then we, we kind of contacted NOC and we performed a survey in collaboration with NOC that netted the results indicating that agencies did report functional status as the primary driver for therapy frequency, especially in PDGM. So you're saying that scoring the OASIS correctly, you know, specifically the questions that do influence the functional impairment is vitally important for folks. Yeah, but uh, I kind of say that is with a twofold answer, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, we do know that the eight questions on the OASIS that impact the functional impairment score level, and I'll just kind of go through them real quick so everybody knows. It's M1800 grooming, M1810 current ability to address upper body, M1820 current ability to address lower body, 
M1830, bathing. M1840, toilet transfer. M1850, transferring. M1860, ambulation locomotion. And then M1032, risk of hospitalization. So that's the ones that really influence uh, your functional impairment level. However, I want to ask everybody a question. Does everybody know what the top two influencers out of that group are? And if you don't, there's the two that are the biggest influencers are M1830, which is bathing, and M1860, which is ambulation and locomotion. For those two um, functional impairment level alone, you have up to 20 to 23 points just sitting there on the table for you to capture. And you got to remember there are 12 clinical groupings, and the ranges for each Low, medium, high levels are different across each groupings, and they can range from anywhere from zero to 68. So when you look at it as a big picture, um, it generally influences the reimbursement by 10 to 25% the functional impairment level does. So you can say up to one-fourth to one-fifth of your impact is due to revenue that comes from your functional impairment level. Now, I'm not saying that the functional status or functional impairment level score is not important, but what we do want to recognize is the importance of time your therapy and nursing frequencies to a more complete patient presentation versus isolating resource utilization to just one payment factor. You got to remember that under PDGM, there are five factors that influence revenue. You have to look at the patient holistically and really center your plan of care on what they truly need and, and for them to meet their goals and to be functional again. So with that said, that last sentence you said about that holistic approach, can you share a little bit about how we, Health Row Heritage, base our therapy and nursing utilization in our care pathways? Yeah, we have always um, looked at the data. So our data was compiled in collaboration with, you might have heard of McBean Associates. And what we did is we pulled CMS claims for Medicare from 2017 to some of 2018. Oh, wow. So how did Health Pro Heritage create the actual care pathways that folks are utilizing? Or were there any significant findings in shaping those up that, that helped us with the data when looking at those therapy and nursing visits? Yeah, so we have always assumed that, you know, kind of therapy played a key role in achieving outcomes. But for the first time, we actually have data now as a company to support that claim. Uh, this data, like I said, was uh, compiled in collaboration with McBean Associates from 2017 and 18 CMS claims data. So what that data does is it compares therapy and nursing utilization between the national utilization, which is a 3.5 star, to that of four and five star agencies. And what we uncovered for nearly every patient classification was amazing. It's something that we kind of already knew as therapists, and that is five star agencies use more therapy than four star agencies did, and four star agencies use more therapy than the national 3.5 star agencies did. Because of this, when we developed our, our clinical care pathways, we wanted to make sure that they were in line with the gold standard of four and five star agency mm -hmm. practice. Makes sense. And now I think I don't know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask it for our listeners out there. So have you seen agencies that use our care pathways show financial success and improved outcomes? Yeah, um, we have kind of crosswalked several patients from PPS to PDGM, and the results have been very positive. Ultimately, we see our pathways save agencies money, time, and again, from lupas and all, you know, pretty much a lot of the time. Like I said, the lupa percentage was pretty high across the board. Like I, there's some states that's up to 40 to 60 percent. So when they use our care pathways, it really helps them to avoid the lupa. Ad additionally, we've helped decrease overutilization, which was a problem, and this saving an agency around $140 to $175 a visit. One group that I've been working with for over a year 
has saved roughly around $2 million. Wow. Uh, using our care pathways across their nine agencies. So yeah, I've seen it work. Um, this also helps our, with outcomes it identifies if agencies are actually underutilizing therapy as well in nursing, um, which can move the meter for improvement on functional items and prevent rehospitalizations in long term. That's crazy. So if folks are curious out there um, or if they want more information on our care pathways, you know, what are the care pathways that we currently have and what might be coming in the future and how can they get additional information on that? Yeah, the current uh, pathways we have right now, um, I'll just kind of run through them real quick. We have uh, the cardiopulmonary pathway. We have a COVID pathway. We just recently created that one with the uh, public health emergency. We have dysphagia, medical management, neuro, ortho, and musculoskeletal, safe transition, speech, language, and cognition, and wounds. And the ones that we're currently working on right now is that we looked at the top three diagnoses from each clinical grouping and kind of decided where we'd go from that. And we have uh, CVA in the works, d- dementia and Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, lumbar thoracic, diabetes, uh, urinary tract, lymphedema, multiple sclerosis, upper extremity fracture, lower extremity fracture, and CHF and hypertension. So some great ones uh, are in the works that should be completed by the end of the summer. So I'm really excited about them. And the best way if you want to kind of have access to our uh, care pathways is to contact us at uh, clinical strategies at health for heritage or myself at jsasser at healthforheritage.com. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Well, that concludes part five of our reimbursement series. How low can you go with that cash flow part one? But I hope everyone out there will tune into our next installment for number six, which is how low can you go with that cash flow part two, where we're going to talk about specialty programs. Thanks so much for joining today, Jason. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. And as always, if you have any questions whatsoever, you can always reach me at strategy podcast at healthpro-heritage.com. Thanks and have a great day.